Let's pray. Father, I pray now that wherever we've come from today, seeking you, skeptical about you, curious about you, joyful, um, tired, doubtful, whatever our state uh, may be this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us more about your love, about what it looks like. Father, to flourish in you. Please speak to us uh, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, in Venezuela, that means absolutely nothing, okay? Um, it's just Sunday. Uh, but anyways, welcome, uh, everybody. If you're here first time, uh, once again, we are so thrilled that you are here. As I thought about this text... Um, I remembered how there's this author by the name of C.S. Lewis. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. You may have read those books or watched those movies. And he talked about how human beings are chronological snobs. Snobs. We just, we look at the past. And even if we don't really articulate it, we think that we know better than the people that came before us. We look at history. We read it. You're like, man, can you believe they did that back then, failing to realize our own issues, that maybe the truths from the past were actually helpful to us, that just, just because we have, quote, unquote, evolved as a society, that there were certain things that happened in the past, certain truths, ancient ones that have been discovered that remain just as good and healthy for human beings today as they were before. I was reading a book about this, and um, there was this concept that sociolo you know, sociologists called the myth of progress. And here's what the myth of progress is all about. It's this kind of quasi-religious idea that human beings are evolving towards this utopian, perfect society because of the advances of technology, and that at some point when we are free from religion, when we embrace our destiny as enlightened individuals, then we will finally achieve the dream that all of us have dreamed about. That is, of course, unless chat, GPT, right, and AI uh, don't wipe out our consciousness, upload it to the cloud, and then create some sort of virus, fungal virus that infects humans and then turns us into zombies, you know? <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about, anyways. You probably watch too much Netflix. So here's the reality. There's been many advances in human history and civilization. It's true. Um, that have resulted in human beings enjoying longer life, uh, more stable uh, societies, etc. And yet, as we continue moving forward, there's a lot of data that suggests that things are actually getting worse for human beings. If technology and the advance of secularism is so good... And why do we have so many human beings struggling with anxiety and depression right now? Why are human beings facing this plague of meaninglessness, a lack of purpose? We lose ourselves escaping in, you know, virtual worlds of gaming and binge-watching TV or escaping in different areas of our lives. Why? 
why are we at such levels of war with human flourishing if things are so good? What is the source of joy of the human heart? There are all sorts of stories. There are all sorts of narratives that you may have heard at some point or another. Marketers paint a picture of a preferred future. The media that we consume gives us a vision of the wonderful, beautiful, true, good life. But it seems that the future never arrives. So out of all of those visions of human flourishing, which one is the true one? Which one is the one that's going to give us lasting joy? Which one is going to provide the kind of transformation that our soul longs for, that our hearts ache for? What will it take for you and me to feel fully alive? Don't you want that? To be fully alive. What I want to do today as we look at this text and as we continue uh, this series of messages that we've entitled, How We Change. I want to look at this text and give you a vision that Jesus has for human flourishing. And here's how I'm taking that word today, human flourishing. It's the idea that Jesus Christ desires for you and me to have a life of joy that is fruitful. Jesus Christ desires for you to have a life of joy where you bear much fruit. So I want to give you just three principles for that. Let's look at the text. Look at verse number one in John chapter 15. I want to encourage you, by the way, if you have a Bible to open it this morning, you can open your app. We're going to be essentially just looking at this text. There's so many connections right here. It's, it's unbelievable. We won't be able to get through all of them. But I want to give you these at least these three principles. Look at what the text says. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. One principle for living a life of flourishing, for experiencing this kind of transformation that Jesus longs for, for you and for me, is number one, to recognize the true source of life. This is the claim of Jesus. Here's what he says. I am the true vine. And why does he use that metaphor? In the ancient world, especially in Jewish culture, the grapevine was a symbol of Jewish national life. That emblem of a vineyard and of the vine appeared on coins during the intertestamental period. Okay, that took me a long time to learn to pronounce, okay? Intertestamental period. That's the period from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There's all these artifacts that we have in history. It's really cool, right? Christianity, by the way, is also historical. Praise God, right? It's not just a fable and a myth created somewhere else. No, this actually happened. So the the vine was something that represented so much in Jewish life. What it's, it's sort of like, you know, in a particular country, if you think about the United States, you know, you have the stars and stripes. Uh, in, in, in Jewish life, you had the vineyard. You had the vine. So it was so precious. It was such an incredible symbol to the Jewish people that they had this huge gold grapevine that decorated the gates of the temple. And if you know anything about the temple, the temple was the center of Jewish life. 
This is how important that concept was. So when Jesus comes into the scene and he says, I am the true vine, here's what he's saying. I am the fulfillment of all that this symbol suggests. I am the fulfillment of all of this flourishing that you are longing for. It's about me. I am the true vine, which presupposes that there are other vines that are not true. There are other things that human beings can enter into or depend on that promise you fulfillment, but that end up not actually fulfilling that promise. So what's the, vis- what, what, what's the current vision of fulfillment, especially now in our society, in modern society? There's a famous guy by the name of Robert Bella that he characterizes our moment in time as a moment of what he calls expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. And here's what he means. It's a belief that authority lies with my own experience and interpretation of the truth. Does that make sense? I want you to think about this for a moment. Expressive individualism is the belief that authority lies with my own experience and interpretation of the truth. So what's the good life? As long as you do what you feel is good and true, then you have human flourishing. Mark Sayers puts it like this. What is the modern world like right now? And you could disagree with them, but I think this is a really good observation. The highest good right now is individual freedom. We must deconstruct anything that restricts individual freedom. Humans are inherently good. That is the perspective of modernity, of, of, of the cultural moment that we live in. The world will inevitably improve. We talked about that. The primary social ethic is tolerance. Institutions are suspicious. And external authority is rejected. I think he captures um, the modern ideology so well. This is something that we're swimming in, by the way. We may look at that and I'm like, wow, that, yeah, that's, that's a little. I'm like, bro, this is, this is what, what's been formed in my heart. This is how I react sometimes. I, I can believe. I may say I don't believe these things, but sometimes we can act as if though this is what is truly um, reality. So how's that working for us? How's this belief working for us? You know what the answer is? It's not working. It's not working. This kind of worldview didn't help us during COVID. It breaks under the weight of circumstances that human beings face. You know what it doesn't do? It doesn't give you a satisfactory explanation of the problem of evil. It's one of the most asked questions of pastors, right? Oh, but if God is good, then why is there so much suffering and evil? And I'm like, well, okay, you give me your explanation. Because you're telling me human beings are good, but I'm looking at the news and it doesn't seem that way. I look at my house. I look at the things that we do. I'm telling you, human beings have a problem in our hearts. There's something that you you have to account for that. And when we look at the scriptures, rationally speaking, I believe that the Christian worldview gives you the most compelling explanation for why evil exists. We live right now in a kingdom where flourishing feels like you pursuing the ultimate good for you. It's a kingdom of self. But when you look at the scriptures, especially here, and Jesus desires for you human flourishing, he's like, no, dude, I don't want you. I don't want you. You're not designed to live in a kingdom of self. You're designed to live in a kingdom of God. 
when Jesus says he's the true vine, he's saying, I'm the true source of life. I can bring you satisfaction. That thing that you're longing for, you have to recognize the true source of life. And the true source of life is not you, it's me. So if you want to flourish, if you want to experience this kind of spiritual transformation that Jesus longs for you, you have to recognize that there are things that you can look for that will not bring you life. And that Jesus says, listen, I'm the true vine. That thing that you're longing for, I want to give that to you. But then that gives you a second realization, the second principle, which is you have to internalize dependence. Internalize dependence. You got to know that when you read this text, what's our identity? Who are you in this text? You can talk back to me. You're a branch. You're a branch. You're a branch. I'm a branch. Come on, somebody. You can get excited about that, right? <laughs> You're dependent. You don't give yourself life. God has given you incredible things. This is, this is an incredible branch, okay? This is, this is like, a, what's that tree that you have a bunch of these trees in Coconut Grove uh, that have a bunch of branches? A banyan tree. That's right, banyan tree. I want to have this one day. Please, God. Anyways, a banyan tree. Okay, you're a really, really cool branch, but you're a branch, okay? You're a branch. You are dependent. If we get this truth into our hearts today, I'm telling you, it's going to change the way you live. You are the creature, not the creator. When your mama says, I'm going to make some chicken soup for you, she's not making chicken soup. She's combining ingredients that have been provided for her in creation, and putting some sasson, you know what I'm saying? And then making it happen for you. And then it brings healing for some reason. But you're not making it. It exists already. Anything we create doesn't begin with us. It begins with a creator. Or in this case, to keep the metaphor going, it begins with this gardener. Jesus says, my father is the gardener. You are the branch. Jesus is the vine. My father is the gardener. And what does the gardener do? The gardener prunes. The gardener prunes. The Bible says that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. We must be pruned by the gardener if we're going to experience a life of flourishing. Part of being dependent, part of you embracing the idea that you're a branch, that you're a conduit, that you can receive life but you cannot create it is realizing that the one who's going to change you is God. He's the one who's going to prune you. He's going to strip away things that you love more than him. I love what Martin Luther once wrote. He said that the word, the word of God, the Bible, does a lot of cleaning in our life, but that some things can only be removed by suffering. This idea of pruning, I'm telling you, it scares me sometimes. When I read this text, I'm like, man, that's so cool. God's going to prune me. And I'm thinking it's going to be like a cool, like, like a haircut. No. <laughs> it's not that way. It's not that way. It's not that way. As some of you know, like when God prunes you, it's sometimes painful. I mean, have you ever seen a, like a plant after a gardener is done pruning it? It's like devastated, dude. I'm like, what did you, I don't know. Did you know what you were doing? I'm just perfectly beautiful leaves on the floor. 
There's flowers. It's like, it's like, yo, it's like a war zone in here. But what are they doing? Things, things may look perfectly good, but the, the gardener knows what he or she is doing. And now the plant looks barren. It looks like it's all scarred up, bleeding sap. But the gardener has not removed anything that was not a loss to keep or a gain to lose. A pastor once put it like this, the gardener takes out of our lives only those things that are a loss to keep and a gain to lose. It's painful, and I'm not saying that we'll always understand it, but when God prunes you, he's helping you grow. He's actually helping you flourish. I remember that was one of my reasons why um, I needed to go away to Chicago. Me and Cassie, my wife, were praying. And I'm from Venezuela, have lived here in South Florida, uh, pastored here at a church for a season. And then there was a moment where we really felt like we needed to leave Miami. And out of all the places that we could have gone to, <laughs> we went to this really cold place called Chicago, you know. And part of the reason we went there is because when we read the scriptures, I don't know if this has happened to you. This is the, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. We're praying about different things. I start reading the word, and this verse, I mean, it's like imprinted in my soul. It's like God is saying, I'm going to prune you. You know, it's like pruning is coming. And I'm like, okay, you know. And part of that pruning was going to Chicago to dive into the word. And you think that the pruning is going to be just going to seminary, but that's not the only pruning that happens, right? It's leaving home. It's dislocating yourself from one context to another so that you can grow in dependence to the Lord, so that you can begin to trust in him, have faith in him. God does so much in the pruning in order for us to, after the pruning, be able to bear more fruit. That's what he says right here. He says he prunes you so that you would be a more fruitful person. How do you live lives of joy and fruitfulness? You have to internalize this idea of dependence. I am dependent. I'm dependent in God. If I do things myself without depending on God, I will not flourish. I'm telling you, you're going to try it. And some of you who are like super hardcore willpower people, okay, great. You're going to try it maybe for five years, and then you're going to come back to the same conclusion. Man, this is not working for me. How do we flourish? How do we experience a life of joy and fruitfulness? Number one, we recognize the true source of life. Number two, we internalize dependence. And let's go back to the text. Look at what Jesus says. Remain in me and I in you. It's so beautiful. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do how many things without me? Nothing without me. That's a strong statement. You can do nothing without me. What's the third principle here that we find? Listen, how do you flourish, experience this life of joy and transformation? You have to make your home in God. Make your home in God. In God. The reason I tell you that, and I was going to tell you, man, abide, remain, is because that word remain in the Greek language is the word meno. The word meno, which means and can mean to make your home in. 
Isn't that an incredible picture? To make your home in God. Like Christianity is meant to be lived at 100%. It can't just be a side gig for you. By the way, people in Miami love side gigs. Third, fourth income, streams, right? No, Jesus says, you have to make your home in me. Make your home in me. That's what it looks like to remain. Other translations have the word abide. Christianity, one of the things I love about Christianity, if you're exploring Christianity, it's that it's a religion that always points you back to a relationship. It's a religion that always points you back, not just to like a plan, but a person. I love what Ken Boa says. Ken Boa says, the focus of the Christian life should not be deeds and actions, but a relationship. Now listen, deeds and actions matter. Our mission statement as reality is that we lead people to discover and display the reality of Jesus. Displaying the love of God matters, but the focus is always the person, our relationship on Jesus. Like Christianity is centered not on a product. It's not just like the product of the gospel. It's a person. It's a matter of making your home in God rather than just fulfilling a set of rules. And maybe you're here, you say, man, I want to change and I want to grow and I don't want to be apathetic and I do want to experience joy and transformation in my life. And of course, it's a compelling vision. What do I do? Well, there's two kinds of ways that you can grow in life. And I'm not sure who this is from, but when pastors quote this kind of stuff, I always say, you know, it's probably from Tim Keller. Okay. So here's what, here's two kinds of growth. Listen, there's mechanical growth. Mechanical growth is the kind of growth that people experience from external compulsion, external forces. So, for instance, you can experience growth or you can change if you go to counseling. But you can change for a particular set of reasons. It's like, for instance, uh, you can meet with a husband, right? I can meet with a man who wants to go to counseling. And the only reason he wants to make changes in his home is really ultimately for himself. Like he's afraid maybe that he doesn't, he doesn't want his wife to leave him or he's prideful. He doesn't want the stigma of, of now being separated. He has a desire for something else. He desires a stable home. I want you to feel this. In all of these things, he's not wanting to change to love his wife. He's loving himself. He wants a stable home. He wants a good reputation. The same thing happens with religious activity. It's the fear of punishment. Man, I, you know, if I don't do this, what's going to happen? It could be pride, a desire for blessing. It may look like love for God. People could just come to church and do religious activities. But as soon as you remove kind of external pressures that push you to do that, you can just go back to the way that you were because it was outside of you. Here's another example. If you take a piece of metal, you can heat it up. You can restructure it. You can bend it, at which point when you take away the pressure, what happens? It snaps or it breaks. And what religion can often do is that it can make you busy for Jesus. can make you really busy for Jesus. A lot of new Christians, they really get busy for Jesus, but they don't develop friendship with Jesus. Don't you want that? When Jesus says, abide in me, make your home in me, this is an invitation to intimacy. This is what he wants. This is what I want for me. You know that? I need this, by the way. I'm not just a master of this. I'm going through this with you. God, help me to make 
my home in you. Help me to remain in you, to cultivate my relationship with you, to build friendship with you. So there's one kind of change, the change that is mechanical. It's outside of you. It's not inside. But you know what the gospel does? You know what the true vine does in you? The gospel changes you in a totally different way. It changes you like intentionally but organically. Intentionally but organically. That's the other kind of growth. It gives you life from within. Internally. How, did, how does he do it? When you remain in his love. When you make your home in him. The gospel saturates you with the reality of the love of Jesus. Specifically, this announcement about what Christ has done for you. You know what Christ has done for you? He came to save us from our sin. The brokenness that we experience, the curse that human beings are under, Jesus Christ came to destroy that on the cross so that you can experience a relationship with him. It's incredible. He gives us that invitation, that opportunity. That's why 1 John 4.19 says, we love him because he first loved us. What is the source of human love for God? It's God. He's the true vine. He's the one who fills you with joy. He's the one who empowers you to be a fruitful person. That's why Jesus says, not only do we remain in him, I love this. How does he change us? He remains in us. Abide. And then Jesus says, and I remain in you. How do you become a Christian? You know what you do? You confess that Jesus is Lord, and then he makes his home inside of you. He remains in you. And then we have to come to this realization. It says it on the text. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. What does that mean? Because maybe you're sitting down, you read the second, you're like, dude, I can't. <laughs> I work. I do things. I travel. What's Jesus talking about here? Here's what this means. Apart from Jesus Christ, you can do nothing of kingdom significance. God does not care about it. If you do things apart from the vine, it doesn't matter how much charity you give away, how many businesses you build. It doesn't matter how many cool relationships you develop. Jesus is very strong and direct here. He says, like, you can do nothing. It means nothing in the kingdom of God. And listen, you and I are living in a time where there are so many things that are vying for our attention. There are so many things that are distracting our energy, pulling us away from making our home in God and so that we can try to make it somewhere else. And the key to a joyful and fruitful life here is that we steward our resources and our energy and we make Jesus like, man, I, I got to focus on him because I actually really want this joy that he promises. I want this fruitful life and that's only going to happen in us if we learn to make our home in God, to abide in him. If you learn nothing else in 2023, I promise you, if you learn to abide, to remain in God, your life will be different. You'll wake up in 2024 and you'll be like, oh my gosh, I have a different kind of joy, even though my circumstances are, it could be difficult, but I, there's something in me. God is sustaining me. I have life that I never knew before. I'm seeing the beginning of fruit in my own home, in my own heart. Something has happened when we learn to abide in God. I'm telling you, Jesus promises that we will experience his joy. 
and I'm trusting in his promises. Listen, so we have that principle. We make our home in God, and then this is what he says in the text. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit, and they prove to me my disciples. Verse 9, as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. You know what the point of this text is, right? Remain. (laughs) Remain. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And here's the promise. It's so beautiful. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you. And your joy may be complete. God wants this for you. He wants you to have joy in your life from him. That's why he's telling us these things. What's the principle here? One principle that we discover in experiencing a fruitful and flourishing life is we need to exercise extraordinary obedience. Extraordinary obedience. I say this because... I wanted to tie this especially to these last couple of verses because joy and obedience sometimes don't really come together. Sometimes when you mention obedience in church, it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, my shoulders just got heavy, right? Like something just happened in my body where I feel like, I don't know, like I'm walking out and I'm feeling guilty. That's not what God wants for you. It's an obedience that flows out of love for him. Because he loved you, you obey. You don't love to earn his love. Look at all of the connections in John chapter 15. Um, God is glorified when we are fruitful. That's what he said in this text. God is glorified when we're fruitful. To be fruitful, you have to remain in him. To be fruitful, you must abide in him. And then it says right here in verse 10, we just read, the key to abiding is obedience. Do you see all the connections here? It's all connected. When the Bible speaks about being fruitful, by the way, it does so in at least two ways. It's like in the fruit of the Spirit, something happens in you. When you remain in God, he begins to change you. You begin to become a person of love, of peace, of patience, and kindness. The fruits of the Spirit, right? That begins to happen in you. But then also, you begin to move outward and share his love with others. And so there's the fruit of people actually coming and experiencing Jesus Christ as a result of what he's done in you. What does it mean to be a fruitful disciple? It's a disciple that's growing in Jesus' love but that is also inviting and making disciples and seeing fruit in the lives of the people that they're evangelizing and bringing to Jesus. Does that make sense? God wants you to be a fruitful disciple, and it all begins with abiding in God and with obeying his commands. That's what he says right here. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. God is glorified when this happens. So a question for us this morning, if you've been following Jesus for some time, It's coming right out of the text is, yo, what kind of fruit has God produced in you? It's evidence of the work of Jesus Christ in your life. This should be a passage that tests where we stand with God. It's one thing to come to church and to play church and to play Christian. It's another thing to be a follower of Jesus that abides in him. If you were to look at your life, 
if those closest to you were to look at your life, what kind of fruit would they see? Would they see a person who is in love with Jesus or a person who has spent time with him? Is there any fruit? This is a text that helps us to reflect on our condition and our standing with Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. Yeah. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. How do we remain in his love? Man, we obey him. Extraordinary obedience. It's something that we do out of love. In a world of compromise, what would it look like for you to live in extraordinary obedience? In a world that's vying for our attention, what does extraordinary obedience look like for you? What does that kind of faithfulness look like in your life? I'm not just talking about doing the big things, you know. Maybe for some of you, obeying Jesus means, hey, you know what? He's put a call in my life, and I'm going to step out. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. But then also, what about just the daily obedience, the simple things in life? Okay, That's what I work on as an individual. If you know me, you know I kind of like the big things, you know. With my wife, that can happen. I want to love her well. Let's say I messed up, and you know what I'm going to do? Hey, you know, let's go on a trip, something incredible, amazing dinner. My wife's like, okay, cool, but um, can you just go ahead and do the things that I asked you to do on Friday? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but you know what? <laughs> this is a really big thing and a really romantic day and a really big gesture. <laughs> but what about the daily obedience, you know? What about loving her in the daily things? That's, man, listen, Jesus wants the same thing for us. That gradual organic change comes through abiding in him, remaining in him. It's a relationship. That can be simultaneously beautiful and frustrating for some people. Because what you want is a plan, right? You want this like checklist that you want. Okay, here's how I grow in Christ. Bam, 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 bam. And it's like relationship. You're like, oh. I got to spend time with you? <laughs> That's what he wants. Remain in my love. Extraordinary obedience. I want you to think about this concept. And you're going to be hearing from this. Because, of course, our vision, this is the year of transformation. We're walking you through different practices and this diamond of transformation that we showed you on Vision Sunday. Take a look. Here's a diamond of transformation. Uh, how do people change? Uh, this is a working theory. We change. We need truth, the truth of his word, the truth of the gospel. I want you to see how in this text we see all of these different things taking place. Look, truth. What does Jesus say in the beginning? I am the true vine. Okay, practices. You know what he says? Remain in me. Abide in me. Practices help us to be conformed into the image of God. Remain in me. Make your home in me. Number three, community. You're like, dude, where was community in the text? We didn't read it. It's in verse 12. Check this out. Jesus says, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Community. And then, of course, mission. In verse 8, we heard it. It's obedience. He says, I want you to prove to be my disciples. I want you to be fruitful. And where does the power come from? It doesn't come from you. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? How does Jesus remain in us now? Here's what he does. He told the disciples, I am going away and I am sending you the Holy Spirit. How do you change and how do you experience a life 
of joy and flourishing. You do it by making your home in God, acknowledging the true source of life, internalizing dependence. It's about you. It's about me submitting to your love and your will. And finally, just by practicing Holy Spirit-empowered obedience. Amen? Where do you find yourself today? Which of these maybe resonate with you more? What does it look like to abide with God? Have you been abiding with him? Have you, have you ever experienced the intimacy that can come by being in the presence of God? I want that for you, but Jesus wants that for you. And I know he wants that for me. So I want to give you a tool, something very practical that you can put into practice this week. Uh, this is a concept called uh, practice the presence, okay? Practicing the presence. By the way, if you're wired like me and you're a little bit skeptical, when I first heard this, I imagine people like playing flutes and being a little weird, okay? Like, whoo, practice the presence, you know? It's not that. Uh, that's truly, that's truly how I felt, okay? Um, but this is what it means. It's a very ancient concept. Uh, it's keeping in mind that God is with you as you go about your day. It's practicing, it's becoming aware of God's presence as you go about your day. And this concept was popularized by, 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 a, by a guy called Brother Lawrence in the 17th century, okay? Uh, he was a Carmelite monk in France, and he had the cool job of being assigned to kitchen duty in a monastery where he prepared and cooked the food for the day and he cleaned up afterwards. It was such a dull task to be a dishwasher in a restaurant. Can you imagine? I've been there. I've been a dishwasher in a restaurant. And here's what happened. Brother Lawrence began to infuse his relationship with God in the menial tasks of life. Instead of just doing the dishes or cooking the meal, um, he decided to have this ongoing conversation with God as he went about his chores. Brother Lawrence believed that God could be invited into everything, and he did, and his presence could be enjoyed at any time. Brother Lawrence's objective was this. I want to keep a steady connection with God throughout the day. I want to remain in him. I want to make my home in him. I want to order my life in such a way that everything I do is guided by and connected to God. Here's what um, Dictionary of Christian Spirituality says. It says this, Lawrence encourages the people of God to sustain living intentionally and without ceasing an attentiveness to God's close presence where the believer followers of Jesus understand that in his presence and ultimately nowhere else is fullness of joy 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 at God's right hand are the deepest and most enduring pleasures of all so practicing the presence of God as described by brother Lawrence is this life that is filled with intimacy and joy intimacy and joy how do we do it how do we practice the presence I'm gonna give you three things a you pray and work Pray and work. We want to be a church for Monday, right? Church for Monday. You wake up tomorrow, you go to work. What are you going to do? How are you going to put this into practice? How do you abide in God? You can pray and work. The idea here is that as you're working, you have one of your ears locked in heaven. When you pray as you work, as you have that phone call, as you meet with that person that maybe, I don't know, right? What are you doing? You are inviting the eternal into the ordinary. You're inviting God, right? You're engaging with him at work. 
You're praying. You're asking him. That's how do you practice the presence? That's what he would do, right? He's washing dishes and he's praying, right? Tomorrow, this week, how do you practice the presence? You pray as you work. Pray as work. Another way of practicing the presence is beholding the beauty of creation. As you're engaged in the beautiful traffic of the 826, right? Maybe you live in Kendall and you get the joy of being able to drive to US-1 in the morning, right? You behold the beauty of the rain that clobbers your car. No, no. And so you, you, you behold. You have to stop and behold the beauty of creation. Rarely does beauty stop you. You have to stop and, and see it. You have to behold it. The, first, the way that the Bible opens is with God as creator. There's something about creation that redirects our hearts to our maker. How do you practice the presence? Man, when you're beholding a beautiful sunset, when you're looking at a leaf, I don't do that a lot, by the way, but, you know, maybe you can look at a flower, you know, and you're beholding it. You're seeing something extraordinary. You're like, man, how did this come to be, you know? Um, you practice the presence of God. You're beholding the beauty of creation. You're praying as you're working. You're beholding the beauty of creation. And another way that's very helpful has borne so much fruit in my life is to practice confession, confessing before the Lord. Look at this powerful verse. In the book of Proverbs, the one who conceals his sins will not prosper. You want to live a life of flourishing. You want to experience God's joy. You cannot conceal your sins. That will not work. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. How do you practice the presence of God? You practice repentance. You practice confession. The things that happen at home, the things that happen at work, something that was said to you or you said to your child or your friend and a way you acted. It's an opportunity. How do you practice the presence tomorrow? You go to God in that moment. God, I'm sorry. I, I, I know that I was not supposed to answer this way. God, I'm, I'm confessing this before you and I am receiving your mercy right now. And I'm practicing confession. I'm practicing repentance. The one who conceals his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses them and renounces them will find mercy. Perhaps for you, the next step that you actually want to take today in having life in Christ is you actually have to renounce your sins and invite God to make his home in you so that you can experience this life-transforming love and so that his joy can be in you and his joy and your joy can be made complete. Look at what he says in John chapter 15 and 11, and I'm done. Jesus finishes and he says, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Do you want that? Do you want that in your life? Listen to me. I want that for me and I want that for us as a church and I'm sure you want it for yourself. And how do we get there? We get there, men, by making our home in God internalizing our dependence in him, realizing that he's the true source of life and practicing obedience. Why don't we practice these things right now as we pray? I'm gonna ask Sarah to come up. She's just gonna play behind us, okay? And then we will, we will pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this powerful words, Lord. Thank you for these promises that you give to us, even the hope and the possibility of transformation in our lives, Lord. I pray, God, that we would not be looking for just this like special um, 
magic moment, Father, but rather just, Lord, help us to see the growth in our lives organically through the power of your Holy Spirit. We know that you can change things in an instant, but it takes an entire life to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. So I pray for everybody in this room. First of all, Lord, I want to pray for those who are here who are curious about you. Maybe there's people here that don't know you, God, that are exploring you, by the way, just with your heads um, bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and you're like, you know what? I don't really have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to experience his joy. And if that's you, the good news is you can experience that this morning. Jesus Christ died on your behalf for your sins. And then he promised that he would give you everlasting life if you confess that he was Lord. If you make your home in him, he will make his home in you. And if that's you this morning and you're like, man, I want to I wanna give my life to Jesus. I want to confess and renounce my sins. And I want to find mercy in him. If that's you, you can just pray right now wherever you're seated. You can go to the Lord and say, God, please. I want to have a relationship with you today. And I want you to make your home in me. Would you change me? I repent of my sins and I give my life to you. Just in the same spirit of prayer, um, perhaps you're here and you look at some of these different um, invitations from Jesus, some of these different principles. And you you realize that maybe you've been living a life of pride instead of dependence. If you've just been walking around like everything depends on you, and today there's an opportunity for you to come before the Lord and say, God, I want to abide in you. I want to remain in your love. I want to make my home with you daily. Would you empower me? Right now, why don't you just tell him, God, help me to develop this relationship um, with you in my life. Maybe for some of you, what's keeping you from abiding in Jesus is actually disobedience. There are things that are leading you astray from God. And today, God gives you an opportunity to just go before him and confess. Lord, there's been other things that I've been paying attention to that are distracting me from you. And today, I want to come back to you. Why don't you just tell him that, whatever that may be. Why don't you name it out loud, even in this moment? Confess it to the Lord and find mercy in this time of need. Holy Spirit, I pray, God, please, that this seed of the word of God that you've sown in our hearts today would bear much fruit. God, please help us to be a people who continue to learn to love you, to experience your love. And I pray that we would be a people that experience much fruit here. Would you please help us to see that in 2023, God? We're coming before you asking you, God, to fill us with your joy and to lead this life of flourishing in our homes, in our relationships, and in the city of Miami, Lord. We give you these things and this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, and amen. Amen. I'm